Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Isn't that, isn't that video cool about free Methodism? I know nothing about free Methodism except a little bit about John Wesley, but I, I, I'm going to be honest about something. I, in the heritage I grew up in, um, we didn't really focus a lot about church history. So in the charismatic movement that I grew up in, it wasn't really important. And so when I went to uh, do my master's, it's like this whole world of church history that I really didn't know anything about and I really didn't care about. Um, so I'm learning to care, and I think that is really, really cool. So I saw that this week. I thought, that's really, that makes a lot of sense. Because, like, why free? What does that have to do with anything? Pretty cool. Um, so this morning, I want to, uh, who's ever edited video before? A couple people. Mike, Mike, every week. Thank you, Mike, for all your hard work. <laughs> every week, editing video and, and, uh, and audio. So I'm in the middle of a project uh, that I'm doing for... Uh, uh, actually, it's a band in Czech Republic. It's my cousin. I'm doing the stop motion video for him. For his band, it's, it's a lot of work. It's thousands and thousands of pictures, and I'm, in, I'm constantly editing. So editing is on my mind, so you can just forgive me for a second. Uh, and I kind of covet new technology. So I wish I had a, more, a faster computer. I wish I had a better rig, a better setup for, for my editing. Because I see some, sometimes in like production studios, they have this like knob. This is the picture that I have in my mind of like, you know, you, you're looking at your video and you have like a knob that you can turn to speed up or slow down the thing that you're, that you're watching, right? Does, everyone, does anyone know what I'm talking about? A couple people. Adrian is shaking his head. So it does exist, right? I'm not making this up. Maybe. Seen it on TV. Me too. Never seen it, but I, but I kind of covered it. I wish I had one to help me edit my, my work that I could like fast forward and, and rewind and... and and that's the picture I have this morning because what I want to do this morning is actually just really slow the story down. At least this is where, where, where I'm coming from. So it has been my joy to share the stories of Mark with you guys. I really like the Gospel of Mark. Don't know if you've noticed. I really like it. I really think it's great. I was actually reading a, a commentary last night or, or listening to something that the Gospel of Mark was actually kind of the, the forgotten gospel for a long, long time. Nobody really cared about it. Because it was so raw and so choppy and so like unrefined, like Luke and Matthew and John. And I love that about Mark. I just love how, I just love the story of Mark. And so in this story, I just want to just slow it right down to grab like that editing knob and just like really, really slow the story down. Because sometimes for me, I love telling the story, but then I, f I just forget to take the pause of the nuance. And so my invitation today to you is, is, is to me, this is coming just from like deep within my gut, is to actually just slow down and look at the faces of the disciples and just, just watch their faces and imagine their eyes and their mouths and their gestures and their kind of their body cues. Because it's one thing to read the story and just as we know the story pretty well, if you've grown up in the church, even if you don't, like we kind of know the story of Jesus pretty well, it's kind of like fly over it. And these words that are on these pages, they can just like be, whoop, you just skip over them and, and not let it really sit and resonate. And so I've been, I don't want to say struggling with this, but I've been, I've been struggling with this all week long for the last couple weeks, that this, this kind of section of Mark, I can't really get past and I feel compelled to just really stop and look and see 
in that slow motion, almost a pause, almost not pausing, not stopping, but just like a really cr- like crawling. And at this point in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has done incredible things. So I, for my purposes, I've blocked Mark into seven chapters. I know that's not going to make any sense, but if you look in your, your study Bibles, you're going to see lots of scholars and whatever. They block up and they outline their, their Bibles, they outline books to kind of make more sense of it. To me, Mark makes sense in seven chapters. And there's five stories in each chapter, and there's an act one, and then there's act two, and then there's the kind of the finale. And so we've kind of been through act one, where Jesus kind of, this unexpected person kind of arrives on the scene. Nobody knows who Jesus is. Nobody really, really cares who Jesus is at first. He's baptized in the water like with John. And then the, the dove comes down, and God's voice speaks over him, and Jesus is kind of chosen right away. Mark jumps into it. And right away we see Jesus, this unexpected person, is doing kind of crazy things. He's healing people and he's casting out demons. And at the end of that first chapter, he actually forgives sins. And so Mark kind of like draws us right into this story right away. That very quickly we realize, okay, this is not just a, a normal guy. Well, then this unexpected person, he invites, he gives this unexpected invitation to these unexpected people. The people you wouldn't think a rabbi would invite. Losers, outcasts, women, children, the, the, the forgotten. He, he, those are the people Jesus brings around him. It's weird. This unexpected person gives an unexpected invitation, and then he shows unexpected powers. So he kind of like puts a stamp on it. He goes out into the world and does amazing, incredible things. He feeds 5,000 people. He calms a storm with just his, just his words. He casts legions of demons. He raises the dead. He walks on water. He's like definitively saying, okay, I'm unexpected. I'm unexpectedly inviting you into this thing, and I'm going to show you who I am with this crazy unexpected power. And I think that's the end of kind of act one of Mark. And kind of turn the page, come into chapter four, act two. Well, now Jesus is like showing a little more this unexpected mystery. What is this actually about? And these are the stories we just have kind of gone through, that he, he heals a deaf man. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He gives sight to a blind man. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He feeds 4,000, but it's not just Jews, it's Gentiles. Can you taste what Jesus is making? He, he then says, who, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Messiah. Do you know who Jesus is? And then he's on the mountain, transfigured, with Moses and Elijah. Do you actually know who Jesus is? And at this point in Act, and how I see it in Act 2, the story now tips towards Jerusalem to the end of Act 2, that climactic moment where Jesus is put to death. And there's something, and obviously in the finale, he's resurrected, and the story ends in this, in this beautiful way. But there's this, this story right at the end of this, how I see Chapter 4, don't get confused with the actual monk chapter. I don't know who. Jason, do you know who scribed the? No. Some monks a long time ago put the chapters and verses in, in the Bible. Sorry? Geneva Bible. Geneva Bible. Thank you. So the end of this chapter 4, in my mind, at this place of Caesar Philippi, Jesus asked Peter, he asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter responds. What does he say? You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. Now again, P- 
Peter's not thinking divine, God in the flesh, Messiah. He's not thinking the way we understand Messiah. He thinks you are Israel's Messiah. You are liberator. You are conqueror. You are going to take, you're going to bring us back to prominence. You're going to fulfill that Davidic covenant that, we, that Israel's going to stand apart from the world as God's beacon and God's light. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says, yes, I am. And this is what I'm really hung up on. But then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. There's no story, there's no nuance, there's no metaphor, there's no allegory. Jesus is saying this, plain as day, plain as toast on a piece of, that doesn't make any sense. In my home, I, I make up things all the time, little sayings that don't make any sense. I was imagining a piece of bread on a, on a plate. Why that makes any relevance to this, I don't know. Jesus is saying it plainly, plain toast. I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to come back to life. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning to seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, in Peter's mind, and we did this a couple weeks ago, but in Peter's mind, the Messiah doesn't die. That's not how the liberating Messiah figure conquers and reclaims Israel's prominence and kind of fulfills God's promise. He doesn't die. What are you talking about, Jesus? Dying, coming back to life. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're talking about. But that's not what's bothering me. It's not what's troubling me. Then, calling the crowd to him, this is Jesus, with his disciples, he says, if anyone, anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his own cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. If anyone, anyone, disciples, the people there, today, us, anyone, would come after Jesus, would follow Jesus, you must deny yourself, take up your own cross, and follow me. 
whoever would save their life will actually lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. This is what has really got me this week. This has really niggled like deep in my soul. Because there's a couple things here. Again, if we, if we slow down, we grab that editorial knob and, and we see this picture playing out and we just bring it to a crawl and we just take a pause and we just stare at the faces of the disciples and just look at their reactions to this. To hearing Jesus say this, because Jesus has just said three crazy, mind-bending, mind-boggling things that in our context we understand, we have some framework for it, but for them, this is absolutely borderline ridiculous. One, Jesus just says, I am going to die. Then I'm going to come back to life. So Jesus is predicting his own death and his own resurrection. As I've said before, uh, like I've said, I've shared before, and N.T. Wright said many times, and I love how he says this, even back then, dead people don't come back to life. They weren't thinking, oh, of course Jesus is going to come back to life. I'm going to die, Jesus says, and then I'm going to come back to life. And that if you want to follow me, you kind of have to do the same thing. And then he references this idea of picking up your cross. Now again, if we're, we're crawling now. The, 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 the movie has almost stopped. It's slow motion. These are a bunch of Jewish men. These are not 21st century Christians who have crosses on their chains and on their necklaces and on their everywhere. This isn't a universal symbol of Christianity. A cross is like a, 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 a Roman execution torture way to die. Jewish men would think, if you're going to die by the high priest, wouldn't you be stoned, Jesus? Wouldn't you be pushed off a cliff edge, Jesus, the way we would murder people, the way we execute people? What are you talking about crosses for? How does a cross figure into this? Even by Roman standards, most Romans weren't executed by cross. Romans were masterful at killing people. They'd fillet you alive, they'd burn you alive, they would like fry you alive, they would drown you, they'd throw you into the arena to get you torn apart by wild beasts, they'd behead you if you were lucky. You could die by poison, you could die by starvation, There's, you could die by exile. There's all kinds of ways the Romans like to kill people. Crosses were saved for the nobodies, the slaves. The bandits, the, the low, petty criminals. I, I love ancient history. Maybe not so much modern church history so much, but I love ancient history. I love the historical figure of Spartacus. Does anybody else? Am I the only one? I love, I love the story of Spartacus. I don't quite know why, but it, I find it so fascinating that not like 70, 80 years before the, the time of Jesus, there was a slave rebellion and Spartacus and his men actually, like, tried to reform the Roman world. And they went in and they freed, freed a bunch of slaves. And they had an army of people. 
hundreds of thousands of freed slaves trying to usurp the powers of the world, trying to actually overturn Roman rule. And a lot of their motivation was, was justice, was equality. It was, they were motivated by, by some good things. But guess what happened? They lost. Rome grabbed them and crushed them. And guess what happened to thousands and thousands of those slaves? Strung up on crosses to be picked apart by the birds. And I can't imagine that the disciples don't know this story. And I can't imagine they don't know where the idea of a cross is coming from. And here Jesus is saying, you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself and pick up your own cross. Very, very strange. And then he goes on, he says, if you want to lose, you want to save, you're going to save your life, you're going to actually lose it. If you want to lose your life, or you want to save your own life, you're going to lose it. You have to lose your life to save it. Now what's really interesting about this is, I understand it, this word life and soul are actually interchangeable. Then you see the word life, you can actually replace it with the word soul. If you see the word soul, you can actually replace it with the word life. This isn't really that. Uh, this isn't really that strange because, especially in Jewish time, they like they they would have understood it themselves as holistic beings. They would have seen their bodies, and their minds and their souls as just kind of one part. They wouldn't have separated the way we we kind of do now, where we kind of it's very easy for us to split apart our minds and our bodies, and what we do to our bodies is different than our minds. And kind of the ancient world, and especially for Jews, it was a kind of a whole body thing. Jesus is saying, if you want to save your life slash soul, you have to lose your life slash soul. Paradoxical. You have to pick up your cross, you have to lose your life in order to find it. What were the disciples thinking? When I see this playing out in that slow motion, I see confusion. I see perplexed faces. I see men that are like, what are you talking about? I feel Peter saying, there's no way this is how this is supposed to go. You can't die. This is nonsense I see each of them but then I see myself in them what happens when you're a 21st century Christian and you feel like you've been carrying a cross for a long time but it just feels heavy the weight of the cross feels just too heavy. That I can't carry that cross anymore. I woke up this morning. I'm going to be completely honest with you. This doesn't happen to me very often. I like to come prepared to speak. When I'm sharing a story or something, I usually have a multi-step process to, to share. 
Last night I had no conclusion. Really no idea. I, I, I wrote, actually, because I, I scribble and then I type. And at the end of my typing, I, I was like, the end of my line that I woke up to this morning to come back to my screen, I was like, please help me, Jesus. Because <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. And he writes it like this. I, I love how he said it. He's like, for the disciples to hear this, this is like, my, this is mind-boggling. But what did you expect? A simple hike? The call to Christianity is, is risky. It's dangerous. The road from this story on, if we, like, put, put that movie back into full speed, normal speed, it, it gets riskier and riskier and riskier. It gets more and more dangerous until eventually Jesus is put to death. It actually, what he says happens is going to happen. And he himself is going to be strung up on a cross. And later the disciples are like, oh, now we get it. Well, that makes sense. And yet even still, they don't actually fully get it because they don't remember that his next part, that there's resurrection. It's not stay dead. He said, I'm going to put up on a cross, but I'm also going to come back to life. This is this morning when I woke up, just very simply and very quietly, I realized that the hope of this story is that we don't carry our crosses alone. That Jesus isn't sadistic. He's not a Roman marauder who enjoys hurting people. He's not gleeful that we have to carry our crosses to our own deaths. It's actually the circumvention of the patterns of the world. That Jesus is saying the only way to actually find life, the only way to actually be self, true self, the only way to actually live in joy, as Christy was talking about, is to lay down your life. And sometimes when that cross is heavy, we don't do it alone. That Jesus isn't, you know, laughing from the side. He's actually co-carrying with us. And I, that, the, the output of that is, as I watched that, that free Methodist thing again this morning, it's like, that's what happens. When a bunch of people, one, one person at a time, lays down their life, they find true life. They start caring for kids. They start feeding kids. They, they start building hospitals. They start teaching kids in school. They, they stop charging rent for pews, which is a great idea for revenue in a church if you want to do that. What a, what a crazy idea that blew my mind. I didn't... I, charge to sit in a pew at church? The patterns of the world are reformed through this way of Jesus. And it's the only way that we actually find life. And we don't do it alone. So I'm going to pray and I'm just going to leave it there. But while, as I pray, 
If you could go to that scene, that's a very simple scene. And yes, I've spent a lot of time looking at the faces of the disciples. Jesus is also present in that story. What would you say to him? What would he say back to you? How, what would your interaction be like in that moment? And that's not anything that I can answer for you. That is your own contemplative reflection with Christ. And as I pray, just, I, I hope he speaks to you. Jesus, we thank you that you did come to the earth so, so long ago. We thank you that you, you came at just the right time. That you came, I was reminded this week, that you, you came during uh, the perfect time. That these road systems were just kind of, uh, the, the, the political structure, the religious structure, everything was set for your arrival. And I thank you that you came to the earth, embodied, unexpectedly, with this unexpected invitation, with this, this crazy, unexpected power that you, you offer this unexpected mystery to us, this paradox of circumventing and flipping over the powers of the world so that we can actually find life, not just eternally, but now. Not just now, but eternally. And Jesus, I pray that as we pick up our crosses, that, that uh, we'd have the strength and courage to do so. And if our cross seems a little bit too heavy, that we would remember that, that we don't carry it alone, that you are beside us. And maybe some steps are a little bit slower than others. Maybe sometimes we don't have the energy. But that you're with us, you haven't left us. And that you delight in the formation of who we are becoming uh, because of you. We thank you for these uh, beautiful stories that Mark wrote. And we thank you that we can sit together in them. In your name we pray. Amen.